what is even going on in Daniel 9.24? Well, that's what I had to wrestle with this week in Systematic Theology 2. Welcome back, everybody. This is My Seminary Life, the show where I recap the things I'm studying in grad school right now. I'm your host, Brandon Knight. If you're new to the show, welcome. I'm glad you tuned in for a week on eschatology. I'm wrapping up here pretty soon my class on systematic theology. And of course, it's not systematic theology unless we talk about the big one, eschatology, the one that we're all so interested in trying to understand a little bit better. Well, Today we had to focus well this week we had to focus on Daniel 9:24 for our forum post assignment. Surprisingly, I thought we were going to have to do a thing on all the different millennial, premillennial, amillennial views, but instead, this is what we had to talk about. And I'm kind of okay with it because it was an interesting study. And that was our cold open for TikTok. This is something new that's going to be going on here is that I'm going to start re- recording intros to my to the show to that you can check out on my tiktok at just.brandon.k if you want to check those out but uh, what matters more to me is that you're here for the show and if you haven't followed us on facebook or instagram yet at my or yeah at my seminary life pod please do it's a lot of fun because like I said, I make TikToks, and that's become something I've started posting specifically on Instagram because, you know, you have reels now on Instagram. That's actually been going on for you have the reels on the Instagram now, which has been going on for a while. But basically, it's TikToks that were made three months ago that are now cool enough for everyone else who doesn't have a TikTok to find out. All of that to say, I know my way around social media, I guess, kind of. You know, truth be told, I tried to upload the show to a new podcast platform this week and I messed it up. So I'm not really all that tech savvy. How I'm pulling off my own podcast, I'm really not sure. But it it, it can happen. It does, it does happen somehow. Um, anyway, so this week we're all about eschatology. Literally all about eschatology. This is episode two of three that I'm doing on eschatology this week. You may have saw that I was a guest on the Clergy Talk podcast this week talking about the book of Revelation, specifically difficult passages of scripture in the book of Revelation. You know, the, John MacArthur has declared that the book of Revelation is actually a very easy book to understand. I don't necessarily agree with Mr. MacArthur there. Um, I think that there are pa- difficult passages. If there wasn't, if the book was so easy, then why are there so many different views on this one book and how everything is going to play out? So we discussed that today. We're going to be taking a break from Revelation to go look at Daniel 9.24 because that's one of the three big ones. You know, there's three big passages in scripture that deal with the end times. Four, I guess, really. Uh, you have the second half of the book of Daniel. You have the book of Revelation as a whole. You have Matthew 24, I believe, is when Jesus talks about the end times. And then 1 Thessalonians there, where Paul talks about um, the the section of scripture that is often attributed to the rapture. So four different areas. We focused on the book of Revelation. On clergy talk today, we're going to look at a very specific verse in Daniel. And then this coming Wednesday... On a brand new episode of One More Thing, that's our bonus show that 
dives into this topic a little bit deeper. I got my good friend Joe coming in from Systematic Ecology, Kingdom on the Road, Buddy Walk with Jesus. He's coming in to talk about end times media. We're both children of the 90s and early 2000s who grew up during that time period when we we as Christians were really obsessed with end times media, pop culture media with Left Behind and Revolutionary Road and Omega Code and all those things. So we're going to... We, it's a great chat. We recorded it this week. It's coming out this coming Wednesday. Check it out. Um, it's going to be a lot of fun talking about these different medias, how it's played an influence in Christianity, in our theology, and what what place does eschatology have in our faith. So be on the lookout for that this Wednesday. And if you haven't checked out last Wednesday's episode with Josh coming on to talk about church unity, you should definitely check it out. It was a pretty popular episode, I have to say. Josh brings the listeners to the yard. What can I say? We'll see if Joe can do the same. All right, well, enough enough of the intro. Let's get on to our topic today, Daniel 9.24. So here was my assignment this week. Identify the six things that God will accomplish by the conclusion of the 70 times sevens. These are the 70 weeks that are recorded in Daniel 9, as is going to come up in this section. Uh, scholars believe that through the understanding of Jewish time and also the their understanding of the number seven their belief on the number seven that this is even though this is all the words are 70 weeks this is 70 times seven years so we're looking at a time span of 490 years not 70 weeks seven zero weeks these six things are included in daniel 924 alone have they been accomplished if yes, when? If no, then when will they be accomplished? All right, so let's dive, dig into our context here a little bit. Get here. I open up in my assignment talking about how Revelation is really the go-to, you know, when it comes to our understanding of the end times. It's really the book of Revelation that is our go-to. But Daniel 9, 24 through 27 does provide some additional context for us as to what's going to happen in the end times. In context, it is the fifth year of the reign of Darius, and Daniel is studying the prophecies of Jeremiah concerning the end of the desolation of Jerusalem. This is the opening verses of chapter 9, as we see that Daniel is researching the work of Jeremiah, which is fascinating to me that he is doing that. It's so interesting that he has gotten documents, scrolls, whatever, of what Jeremiah said, and he's studying them. It's just baffling to me. It's crazy to me to think that that was going on. I don't know why it's so amazing to me, but the fact that they were like... it, it You see it a lot in the prophets, uh, the prophetic books, where they start referencing each other or like in first and second Kings and first and second Chronicles, you start seeing the references to some of the prophets or some of the Kings. And it's just, it's just fascinating to me when these characters all start blurring together, I guess it's, there's a cohesiveness there. That's a little bit different from other books of the Bible. There's a cohesiveness to these, uh, to this story that's going on, that's unfolding in time and space. 
Daniel is then led into prayer for his own sins, for the people, and for the return to Jerusalem. These are the things that he is praying. As Daniel is praying, the angel Gabriel shows up. What up, Gabriel? And he gives a vision for Daniel is greatly loved. And I wanted to include that in the assignment. I have it in quotes. That's why Daniel gets this gets this uh, vision from Gabriel from the Lord. is isn't because he asked for it, but because he is greatly loved. It's because God loves him, that he gave him this information, this vision. So thank you. We should be thankful that Daniel was so dearly loved by the Lord because now it's recorded for us as well. The, the remainder of chapter 9 then is concerned with the vision of, that Gabriel brings to Daniel. So that's what we're going to be looking at in verses 24 through 27 is this is the vision brought to you by Gabriel. This chapter is one of many in the second half of the book of Daniel that are visions from Daniel. We we really know well the first half of the book of Daniel that's, you know, uh, we're not going to eat the king's meat and drink his wine. We're just going to eat vegetables. Uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Daniel in the lion's den. Nebuchadnezzar being turned into a wild animal for a season. Like we We know those stories really well, the writing on the wall. It's this second half of the book of Daniel that sometimes we shy away from because end times prophecy, apocalyptic literature is difficult. It's hard for us to understand because as opposed to other prophetic books, we can look back and see, oh, look, this has happened. This was Isaiah, Jeremiah, whoever was talking about the return to Israel or the return to Jerusalem. And it happened. Or, hey, this is pointing forward to Jesus or John the Baptist. And look, this is where it's fulfilled. When it comes to end times prophecy, when it comes to apocalyptic literature, it's hard for us to understand, has this happened or not? That's why we have so many different views, because everyone has a slightly different take on, has it happened yet or not? It's not that easy, John MacArthur. Come on. Starting in verse 24, 70 weeks are declared about Daniel's people and his holy city. So we're talking about Daniel's people, that is the Israelites, and Jerusalem. This is concerning Israel and Jerusalem. And that is something that I definitely want to highlight here, that I, along with the um, commentaries and actually also a rabbi that I consulted for this assignment, this does not deal with world history, nor does it deal with church history. This is concerning Israel. This is about Israel. This isn't about the church. This isn't about the world. This is about Israel. The six events that are listed in verse 24 are, here we go, ready? Finish the transgression. Put an end to sin. Atone for iniquity. Bring in everlasting righteousness to seal both vision and prophecy, vision and prophet, excuse me, and to anoint a most holy place, or in a more literal Hebrew understanding, anoint a most holy of holies. 
in verse 25, we are given a time frame from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem with the coming of an anointed prince. There will be seven weeks. The next 62 weeks, Jerusalem will be rebuilt in a time of in a time of turmoil. Jerusalem's going to be rebuilt in a time of turmoil. And verse 26 says that after 62 weeks, and we're on week 63 now, um, an anointed one will be cut off and have nothing. Okay. The people of the prince to come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. Got it. Its destruction will come by flood and war. Okay. Desolations, which I have in quotes here, are generally declared, meaning that there are going to be bad things. Desolations are going to happen. Finally, in verse 27, he, that is in quotes, will make a covenant with many for a week. Half of the week, sacrifices and offerings will be put to an end. Okay, interesting. Then on the wings of abominations, okay, shall come, quote, one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out on the desolate. Okay. Yes. The end times are so crystal clear, aren't they, folks? Again, the six events we are cons- we are concerned with are, here we go, one more time, the six events. Finish the transgression. Put an end to sin. Atone for iniquity. Bring in everlasting righteousness to seal the vision and profit and anoint a most holy place. Those are our six events that we are concerned with. Have those six, what are those six things? And have they come to pass yet? In my studies, there does not seem to be an exact consensus on each one of these things. Not of whether or not they've come to pass or not, but what exactly each one of these things are. At least in my own studies, there everyone there is a little bit of a, a different take on some of these. So what do we got here? Finish the transgression, according to all of my research. Refers to bringing an end to Israel's history of rebellion against God. Okay. Uh, one commentator says that putting an end to the putting an end to sin refers to the final judgment, while some of the other commentators says that this refers to the Messiah taking on Israel's sins and her and being the substitute and removing and removing her uh removing her sin in the second coming. So the one says that's the final judgment. At the final judgment, sin will be removed. The other says that it was in Jesus's sacrifice that Israel's sins were removed. Well, that's interesting. Israel's sins were removed at Christ's death. Interesting. More on that in a second. Atonement for iniquity is agreed by by all the parties I referred to. It refers to the Messiah's atoning death for sin. Okay, which has happened, agreed? Jesus has died for 
our sins, for the sins of the world, for the sins of Israel. So that one has happened. Bring in, bring in everlasting righteousness is also agreed upon to refer to the establishment of the Messiah's kingdom. Interesting. To seal both vision and prophet is exactly what it sounds like. All will be fulfilled in the Messiah's kingdom. Lastly, to anoint a most holy place refers to the atonement of the temple in the millennium reign of the Messiah. Did I skip one? Making it Israel's sins. Ooh, I missed one in my assignment. Whoopsie. Well, I'm going to get marked off for that one, folks. You are seeing me scramble in real time. So we have um, finished a transgression. Finished a transgression. Oh, man, what did I miss? An end to sin. Did I miss put an end to sin? Oh, here we go. No, I got it. No, I got it. Sorry. I blurred those two together because in my mind, they sound very similar. So the first two, again, are finish the transgression and put an end to sin. Finish the transgression refers to bringing an end to Israel's history of rebellion against God. Okay. Putting an end to sin, that's where there's disagreement. One commentator says that it is the final judgment. The other ones say that it is... Um, at Christ's death. Okay, so that's where, so we have finished the transgression is putting an end to Israel's history of rebellion against God. Put an end to sin refers to either the final judgment or Christ's death on the cross. Atonement for iniquity refers to Christ's death on the cross. Bringing in, bringing in everlasting salvation refers to the establishment of the Messiah's kingdom. To seal both vision and profit is exactly what it sounds like. Of uh, it is fulfilled by the Messiah's king. Uh, all that is written will come to an end at the Messiah's kingdom. And lastly, the atone, anoint, excuse me, anoint a most holy place refers to a temple being established during the Messiah's kingdom. Even within the differences, I would conclude from this that the only event that has been taken place is the atonement for iniquity. So the atonement for iniquity is, again, agreed upon to refer to Jesus's death. Okay, that has happened literally in history. So the atonement for iniquity has taken place. The other five events in some degree or another, will be fulfilled when Jesus returns at his second coming to establish his kingdom. All of the, all of the authors state going into this section that the, this passage does not concern world history. Again, this doesn't concern world history, but church history. But... In context, this version, uh, this vision is for Israel. So let's go back over these briefly. 
So, like I said, atonement for iniquity, I believe, is taken care of. Finish the transgression. Bringing an end to Israel's history of rebellion against God. I don't, I don't see how that is, how that has been fulfilled. I just don't see, I mean, maybe spiritually. And this is where end times prophecy gets complicated because for some people you have um, these different views of who is Israel. You know, it has the church replaced Israel or will the prophecies made or not the prophecies, the promises rather made to Israel be fulfilled still to literal Israel. And again, it seems to be this understanding, at least among the commentators that I was reading, that this section specifically is for Israel. And if that is the case, then I think Israel is still under rebellion against God. They, they haven't accepted the Messiah. They're still looking for the Messiah, even though he has come. So I, I would have to say that this is still a future event, at least that one. Putting an end to sin refers to either the final judgment or the atoning work of Christ. So this could be an either or, I guess. Either it has been fulfilled or it has not been fulfilled. If it has been fulfilled, then we can add that one to the pile. I, again, I guess there is, again, this idea of is this a literal or a spiritual, a, a literal physical answer or a literal spiritual answer? If it's literal spiritual, then yes, it has been fulfilled because Christ has died on the cross. If this is a literal physical thing, then I think we're waiting for the final judgment for when sin is going to finally be judged and removed. We already got atoning for iniquity. We're all kind of on the same page on that one. Bring in everlasting righteousness. It's also agreed upon to refer to the establishment of the Messiah's kingdom, which we live in a uh, both now and future state when it comes to that, because Christ, the kingdom has come in the establishment of Jesus's ministry here on earth at his baptism. Um, so spiritually, he is really in the hearts of man. But at the same time, I do believe that this is going to be a literal kingdom on earth. And that is what I see being fulfilled here. Bring in everlasting righteousness. That has to be a future thing. Everlasting righteousness. And what's interesting is, like I said, I studied a rabbi. I was reading a rabbi's review or commentary on this as well. And at least in a Jewish mind, and the reason why, I guess I should back up a second. The reason why I did that is because I think that we do ourselves a disservice by not consulting Jewish writings on the Old Testament. It is their testament. It is their books. It's their books. Christianity was, or our faith was being, being pointed to in Jesus through the Old Testament, but they have an understanding of these books as well. And at least for context sake, I think we need to have, um, I think we need to be looking at the writings from rabbis on Old Testament books. I don't see why that would be an issue, at least for context. You don't have to agree with the theology or what they have to say. But what was interesting was as I was studying this, 
um, when I was studying this and reading what the rabbi had to say, I could then see in the commentaries which ones were leaning more towards a Jewish understanding of this passage rather than a more Protestant evangelical understanding of this passage, which you can take that for what it's worth. To me, that meant, oh, well, maybe I should lean a little bit more towards the person who has the Jewish understanding because this is written to Israel concerning Jerusalem. Anyway, so all that to say, going back to what the rabbi actually wrote, is that being in everlasting, bring in everlasting righteousness. What's interesting is that the word everlasting in the Jewish understanding is both a is both a location. It's a location, just as much as time. So everlasting, we usually think of as a time frame. You know, his love endures forever, from everlasting to everlasting. It has more of a time understanding in our in our minds. In the Jewish mind, there's a time and a place understanding. So what we see here, at least in a Jewish understanding, is that there will be not just a time span of righteousness, but a location of righteousness as well. That righteousness will be on all over the earth, not just in time, but in space as well. And again, I don't see a whole lot of people living living out righteous lives. I don't live a righteous life. I am counted as righteous through the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen. Hallelujah. But I am not literally living a life of righteousness physically in this place now. To seal both vision and profit uh, is basically God's word is closed. Everything has been fulfilled. God's word is closed, so we got half of that, but everything has not been fulfilled yet. So we're still waiting on that one. Lastly, um, to anoint a most holy place or a most holy of holies, again, is the more Jewish understanding of that of that verse, uh, refers to a final temple uh, to be set up during the millennial reign of Christ. Again, that's that's future. So that is my understanding of Daniel 9.24. And if you disagree, that is okay. And actually, I would like to hear from you. If you disagree on my understanding of Daniel 9.24, I would love to hear what you have to say. Uh, go to Facebook, Instagram, wherever you found the link for this episode and leave a comment. Let me know. What do you think? I might post a question up on the Facebook or the Instagram here this next week. Just feeling it out. What do you think? What do you think is going on in Daniel 9.24? What will the end times be like? You know, we have so many different views on things when it comes to the end times that I think, and I've said this, I think I have said this on every show. So you're going to hear it three times if you listen to each one of these episodes. I think eschatology is one of those areas of the life of believer that we can hold open-handed, that we should be more open-handed on Take it for what, you know, not take it for what it's worth, but we need to be okay with being wrong and being open to other people's ideas on this section. So that's me. Let me know what you think, though, in the comments. I'd love to hear from you. Well, that's it for the My Seminary part. Let's head on over to the My Life part now. 
kind of a quiet week to tell you the truth. But last night, oh man, Claire and I were treated. A good, uh, an old friend of ours, a gentleman, an older gentleman friend of ours, took us out to dinner to a restaurant in Valparaiso, Indiana. Shout out to all you Porter County people. That is Porter County, right? I hope so. Shout out to all you Valpo people. To a restaurant called Don Quixote. You know the, uh, you know the story of Don Quixote. You know that guy. Yeah. So it's an authentic Spanish restaurant, and I mean authentic, and it is food galore, delicious food galore. Uh, I had flounder stuffed stuffed with crab meat. It was very good. It was so good. Poached pear for dessert. Mmm, so good. Um, port wine, limonada, homemade, both of them, house-made. It's delicious. Um, and the cool thing about the restaurant is also that our friend knows the owner. It's longtime friends with the owners. So they just like would walk by the table and just drop samples for us throughout the meal. We were so full by the end of the by the end of the dinner. It was so good. Love it. Very expensive, but it's a great place. If you're ever out in Valparaiso and you want a nice dinner date, check out Don Quixote. Well, I think that's it. Yeah, that's really the only interesting thing that happened this week. Well, thanks for listening to another episode of My Seminary Life. Appreciate you all. Appreciate you all so much. Again, follow us on all the social medias. Check us out on all of the podcast platforms. Please recommend the show to a friend. Rate and review wherever you get your shows. Again, we're on Apple Podcasts now, which means we're also on Overcast for all you people who choose Overcast over Apple Podcasts for some reason. I don't know why that exists. Getting the show out, looking to get the show out on a couple more platforms here pretty soon. And looking forward to next month, because not only do we have a new class, but also because it is going to be the one-year anniversary show. That's right. We have a one-year anniversary show coming up uh, near the end of March. It's right in between the actual anniversary of the show and my own birthday. So it's going to be good. Um, But yeah. And remember, keep on studying. (music) 